AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Hey John, um, you had a good story about uh, Homeland Security advising about enterprise VPN flaws. Can yeah. you read a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Homeland Security released the bulletin recently. I want to say it was last week, maybe. Mm -hmm. They identified in several different vendors uh, VPN applications for mainly for getting into enterprise VPN type. Uh, situations that there's uh, some possibility of session replay attacks uh, depending on how you have your setup configured. In some cases if they have um, password or uh, static token authentication they might actually leave some kind of session cookies or other metadata on the machine that could be harvested and for a replay attack by an attacker. Mm -hmm. Now, for this to work, the attacker would have to have gained access to the endpoint device, right? Uh, so And also to the cookies, right? Right, but I'm saying, oh, like, yeah. if they got malware on the machine yeah, yeah. and had some kind of remote access Trojan, they could harvest those cookies off the machine and then from another machine mm -hmm. go log in over VPN. Yeah, yeah. Um, so most of the vendors, they're addressing it in, you know, different respects. Uh, some have mentioned that well, what we'd really recommend you do is go to um, like a secure ID token, you mm -hmm. know, or, or a one-time pin type uh, scheme, because that's a lot more uh, secure. It's not going to be replayable, even if it was stored on the machine. By the time you replay it, it will have expired. Right, right, because most of those tokens only last for 30 seconds or a minute maybe at yeah. most. Uh, so that's basically, and I think most enterprises probably are doing that type of thing, either with a, uh, um, uh, a token, like a secure ID token, or a one-time pin that's sent to a, a mobile device or something like that to, to log in with. So uh, I guess I would advise people to, you know, if you're in the IT groups or security, check out if your vendor is um, listed in here as having some vulnerability or maybe patches available. Mm -hmm. Uh, to make sure that your VPN networks are secure. We know, because we've seen, you know, over the past couple of years, probably for a long time, but there's been a lot more activity around bad actors um, trying to get into enterprise networks via their VPN access. So I would say it's a good thing to, to raise some awareness about and people to look at. Uh, the one thing that I noticed as you were presenting on this is that uh, it wasn't just one supplier, it was all of them, which is interesting. Right. It wasn't just in one specific uh, implementation or one supplier's version, it was kind of widespread. It's a security solution, so whenever there's a weakness in a security solution, that's always something you know you want to hop right on. Anyway, uh, I just thought it was an important thing to kind of raise some awareness around, because uh, most large organizations have VPN access into their enterprise, and they're probably using one of these products to do it. So. I think the thinking might be allow the users not to log in multiple times. That's the reason probably they want to store a little bit of nuggets on this, on the computers itself. Maybe that was the design all these vendors have actually incorporated into their designing, right? For example, when you have the token information, that's they're trying to store it locally. That's that's the part they're trying to actually replay, use it for the replay attacks, right? Right, but it's not even, you know, it's, um, it's password tokens, really. Pa you know, tokens that don't change. Yeah. And I guess some vendors may log it to a file or somehow have a mm -hmm. session cookie 
that you could harvest and plug in yeah. to, you know. So that they know things. the user session and they don't want to ask the prompt the user to log in multiple right, times. Right, good, right. So yeah. it might also be a convenience thing, yeah. right, for the user. So I don't know why, I, I would advise against allowing a user yeah. to like check, save my password so I don't have to type it in every yeah. time to log into VPN. Um, maybe that's okay for like these public VPN services mm -hmm. that get you to the internet, but for something to get into your enterprise, enterprise. Uh, I would highly discourage that. Yeah, so, right. I agree, I agree. But I mean, yeah. that could be part of it too. I think they did mention that uh, mm -hmm. at least one or two of the vendors might have had that as an option gotcha. um, uh, that would allow this type of thing to happen. So, mm -hmm. good point. Most of the vendors uh, highly recommend that people use some sort of secure ID authentication, a token authentication. That would help mitigate from uh, password-based attacks where it might cache a credential locally on the machine or something of that nature. Hey Michael, I understand you're looking into a story about Microsoft's Outlook service for mail? Yes, uh, it's actually Outlook, but even some of the other Microsoft mail platforms, they also still have you know Hotmail oh, really? uh, running and MSN users. Right, so, right. Um, so it's multiple users where Microsoft hosts their email platform. And they did notify, kind of proactively wanted to let everybody know, hey, if you were one of the accounts where we think your, your information could have been viewed, um, they let the selected group know that. They emailed them. Okay. Oh, so there was some sort of uh, breach or compromise of user account data? Right. What it, happened? It did. It, it happened this year, you know, uh, January to March. Okay. And uh, they explained it uh, and gave quite a bit of detail to these users. And it, it led back to one of their uh, people in a support role being compromised. So whatever role they had as an administrator and support person helping out users, the attacker unfortunately had that same access. Initially, um, I think the kind of description was, well, the support person could see like subject lines and folders mm -hmm. and maybe look at who you send to. Uh, but then there was a subset, I think it was only 6% of what the support person could see were flagged as users that they could actually look at their messages for. Mm -hmm. uh, those are um, webmail customers who were consumer as opposed to like a business customer. Right, right. So those users actually got a, another uh, notification mm -hmm. telling you that they were in the 6% and that their messages could have been viewed. Uh, in this case, Microsoft noticed that kind of behavior and proactively reaching out to those people who they felt affected to reset the credentials. So I think there was a lot of media attention around this uh, since those notices came out. People pu publishing, you know, to a site. This is the letter I got, you know, and right, right, and then right. a lot of discussion around it. Um, but you know, email security um, needs constant attention, and the attackers are always trying new stuff um, and going after people in support roles is definitely something that's happening all over the world. So um, your support people need to be ready and not fall for tricks that would let somebody in. Uh, and then you could consider, you know, maybe locking down those support roles to, to smaller groups. So they're not looking at all your customers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then view only, as opposed to letting them, you know, write or log in uh, remotely. It's a whole lot of things to think about as you're laying out roles and limiting what a user role is able to do. So, to me, your mail account is probably uh, the thing you want to keep the most secure. Because with it, if I'm a bad guy and I get access to your email, I can reset 
your account on like any number of different websites that you might visit. Yeah. And the forgot password thing is, usually comes back to your email address. Right. And if I get in there, I'll just say, yeah, that's great, and reset it to whatever I want. And then I can get into all these different things like Facebook and whatever, um, just having access to your email account. So it really does unlock um, a lot of access to a potential target uh, and all the other websites or other places they might go where they could use the forgot password to reset the account, so. Also, the digital footprint might give uh, some leverage to the malware authors, or, you know, specifically targeting like APT groups to observe what kind of email the specific subject a person is getting. That may give us a little more information how to target one or two persons. I think uh, that threat is always there when uh, some sort of credentials are lost, right? Yeah, it's a perfect set of information yep. to use to make a targeted yep. message. And, and it might not be against you, it might be against anyone, anyone. you have ever yep. sent a message to yeah. about a topic right. that you talk to each other yeah. about. Right. right, especially if it's a high profile target and they want to use you to laterally pivot to other ones and things like that, yeah. right? Because they would know who you normally, you know, we've seen that with nation state actors too, with email where mm -hmm. they will use a lot of intelligence gathering to figure out who knows who and try to um, forge emails or even compromise one user to send an email to another so that that person's more likely to open an attachment or do something because yeah. it's a trusted person. Like if I got an email from you, yeah. I'd be like, ah, oh, it's yeah. from Ganesh, like, you know, I'll open it. Um, and they try to use that same sort of uh, trust relationship between people in order to, yeah. to laterally take over uh, more accounts and things like that, so. A lot of times we're asked, well, what do you recommend? Like, how could you prevent this mm -hmm. or stop it? And I think both when it comes to support roles and when it comes to logging onto webmail, multi-factor mm -hmm. should be considered for both of those. If you're an administrator where you have elevated access to a lot of different accounts, having a multi-factor authentication would help prevent somebody from being able to use those credentials in a, in a way that would get them access to a lot of different accounts. Ganesh, you have an interesting story for us. It has a lot in it. Uh, crypto mining and uh, Mimi Cats, malware, Eternal yeah. Blue, all kinds of good stuff. Right? Yeah, the research, all the names in it, as you said, it has Eternal Blue, Crypto Miner, and PowerShell uses of the tools. And that's what actually interest, interested me to pick this story. So the first, I think, uh, while reading through, actually, it's, it's been first spotted in January of this year. Uh, by one of the Q researchers as well as the Trend Micro. What they found is, uh, first this, uh, this malware author group, what they're trying is they try, started using the weak passwords. When they found the vulnerable infected missions, they tried to use it, then for the lateral movement, they relayed on the patch the hack. That's where actually they used these different exploits, like power dump tools. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, for example, if the weak passwords are not feasible for them to log into the machine, they're using the password have, password hashes, because in that in that case they can log into any like Active Directory domain controllers, right? Because most of the time um, the hashes will be stored as the, for the logging into those machines. So that that was a little interesting to me, and they used they were successful with that one. While they're doing it, actually, they also leveraged um, Eternal Blue exploit to even further their lateral movement. Okay. And they have a little bit success with that one. Once they got it, uh, at that stage, they have a PowerShell downloader. So this, uh, this PowerShell downloader is actually, this is the one which, uh, which tries to contact with the C2 server. 
and while it doing it tries to give some information about the victim like um, what's the system name right collects and a lot some, of host some information very little information right with that information actually it drops another trojan that trojan actually i think it does most of the collection it it is giving them the gp information i think cpu information and also various other information like uh, how many cpus it have host name I, uh, and also i think mac address i forgot to mention about the mac address and once it has all this information finally drops the monero mining component onto it the attackers have a lot of tools they would try one thing if that didn't work they try something else if that didn't work they try something else persistence uh, but w what's their ultimate goal we don't know but right now they're concentrated mostly in the asia pack and they're typically using for uh, mining operations besides you know, yeah. Uh, building their army. Right, right. So it sounds like they're looking around inside of that network and they're trying to find systems that do have graphics processors and lots of CPUs because yeah. that's what they'd like to have in their yeah. army. Um, which is interesting. Servers are going to have CPUs. I don't know about having graphics processors on servers, but maybe there's some special use machines somewhere that have big good graphics chips in them. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, if it gets nowadays, so our, even our laptops are powerful enough with GPUs, probably if they found them, they can utilize for the mining operations. Right. Uh, but the interesting is, I mean, um, John knows more than about this one. If we look back, the malicious use of the power tools, PowerShell tools, they kind of skyped up since a year and a half, right? Maybe 100 to 1,000 times, you say. We see these uh, PowerShells being used to stay below the radar and to propagation. I think if you look at it, they're kind of utilizing all the tools available. They kind of put it in one place. Right. So they're not writing their own tool sets, but they're using them in very um, strategic ways so that they probably won't get detected because they're using kind of tool sets that are mostly built in to the operating system. Interesting use of tactics, I would say, too, because it's kind of advanced, more advanced tactics that a lot of pen testers might use mm -hmm. and things of that nature, or certainly like PowerShell and, and Mimikatz and a lot of those things. We see that a lot, but I, you know, I notice a lot of the um, financial uh, credit card theft groups, like yeah. the Fin6, Fin7, they like to use a lot of those tactics as well. Um, not to say that there's any relationship here, it's just that people are probably using similar tactics that other yeah. bad guys use. They're learning from each other, so. Yeah, a combination of tools and stuff that, like you said, they didn't have to develop themselves. Develop themselves. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, protection, in this case, there should be endpoint protections at the endpoints. And also, you know, defense in depth really helps matters to detect these kind of activities. All right, guys, I thought I'd look at the internet weather for this week. Not many major changes, but a couple of things we'll point out here. Um, there's a, this is the most pro ports where we see most of the activity. Uh, a lot of common things we see all the time, like Telnet, uh, SMB, uh, SSH, Remote Desktop Protocols, 3389. The one I highlighted here, 9001, um, it jumped up one position, but it's actually jumped up quite a bit more than it normally has. It's actually, we haven't done a show in about two weeks. So this is looking at compared to last week. Uh, 81 TCP is typically associated with that GoAhead's web server uh, vulnerability that's out there. 8080, uh, there is the, uh, I think we actually have that on the next slide, but um, there's the QNAP NAS vulnerability, I think that is typically port, uh, targeted there. And then you've got your general web and uh, HTTPS uh, ports here. 
so on the terms of most sources probing, which is usually indicative of uh, botnet type activity, uh, there's a couple I highlighted here. The port 8080, which we're going to take a closer look at, that's the QNAP one. Uh, 5431 I didn't highlight, but that is Broadcom. There's a Broadcom universal plug and play vulnerability that's out there. I think there's a botnet Broadcom mm -hmm. UPnP something that's out there. Um, the 5555 TCP we'll take a closer look at as well. Um, ADB. Uh, yes, the Android debugger, however, it's not really Android debugger, and we'll take a closer look at, um, at that, I think, as well. And some of the other ones we've talked about already. So uh, this one I thought was interesting. So this is a six-month uh, chart on the port 9001 TCP. And you can see we would have these kind of regular spikes, which just mm -hmm. could be anything, really. So what happened, though, is right around, let's say, April 6th, maybe it looks like, April 6th or 7th, it went from this just kind of regular spike for short periods, uh, which could probably just be one person, mm -hmm. to a very kind of regular, much more intensive amount uh, filled in uh, across the entire time span. There is a small number, a very small number, less than 10 sources in Bulgaria and Latvia that look like they're aggressively scanning this port for some reason. It could be related to Tor. Um, I think we still need to you know, do a little more analysis there, but there's definitely a change in that behavior that. By, by looking at the graph here, the spikes, even at the volume, basically that's a regular scanners, right? Yeah, probably yeah. these little points up top here yep. is probably these guys or something like that mm -hmm. um, that stayed. Uh, but this big filled-in area are the new guys. New and guys. I can actually have a picture that kind of shows this a little bit. Uh, so here's April 1st, and I scaled these two charts. This is the first, and this is today, basically, or the last 24 hours from today. Um, and you could see that the United States uh, is where most of it was coming from, about 84 million scan flows for a 24-hour period. And, uh, but still, you know, relative to what it looks like today, we are at 1.8, 1.9 billion, something like that, coming from Bulgaria and Latvia is another 680 million. And then United States and the others are still in here. So these are probably the little spiky guys, because you have United States, China, Estonia, Lithuania, um, at around the same volumes that they were in the previous week. Mm -hmm. But Bulgaria and Latvia were not here on the first. And now they are, and there's only eight, eight source FM. IPs, which is interesting. Mm. So it's eight, machines or source IPs generating this two million plus some, um, uh, I'm sorry, two billion two plus billion. Yeah. in a 24-hour period amount of scanned source traffic. Um, we'll see, you know, how it goes from this point forward, but, um, you know, something to keep an eye on. You mentioned they were probably hosted and 300 million probes in a 24-hour period is probably more than a mobile device or an average uh, Oh yeah, it's not, um, it's not a mobile device. <laughs> it's a, well, I can tell it's Debian Linux. All right. And um, uh, it's, in the, it's in like some web hosting space. Hosting center. Yeah, With yeah. probably quite a few CPUs, pretty good network. Right. Yeah. You would hope that that web hosting provider would notice this activity and maybe suspend these accounts for whatever it is they're doing, um, assuming it's malicious. So maybe it's not, I don't know, but it's definitely something um, odd or not what we normally see. Uh, so the next one I thought we'd take a look at is scan sources for port 8080 TCP. And um, this is uh, probably related to the QNAP, network attached storage vulnerability mm -hmm. that's out there. 
And if you look here, this is this is a one-year chart, so this goes um, this goes back a year, and you can see that there really wasn't much activity here. And then somewhere around maybe early May, I want to say like May first, 2018, it really started to uptick in terms of how much uh, scan or the number of scan sources. I should also mention that this is looking at scan sources. So we had a low number here, but then it went up to like 25. Uh, thousand scan sources per hour. Uh, you know, now it's kind of maybe 15,000, 10,000 ish uh, per hour that we see on a regular basis. The, um, the QNAP vulnerability, interestingly enough, the release date on the security advisor is May 24th, 2018, which is pretty close to that time, uh, time frame. Uh, you know, it was May 1st it showed up, but probably took them a while to figure out how to put a bulletin out on it. So, um, so I think it's related. And there's the malware that was uh, looking for is this VPN filter malware, by the way. And then the, um, the last one that we also have talked about on the show before, but it's still um, up in the list here, is this port 5555 TCP. And you know, notoriously, this has been historically associated with the Android debugger bridge mm -hmm. service, which is um, a service you can run on Android devices and then you can connect a debugger to it. And there had been some discussion that some, there were some number of these that were uh, out there on the internet, exposed, and you could connect to them. When I actually, uh, lately, it seems like, well, actually, I should say in the past, um, we had noticed more in this time frame that we're seeing lots of TR64 SOAP requests. And there's a vulnerability that we actually see in our honeypots. This is all I see, actually. Um, uh, is these TR64 requests. I didn't get a sample this time for the Zycel D1000 routers, which apparently listed on that port as well. Mm -hmm. So that's another just kind of common thing that more than one type of device is listening here. And I think most of the activity that we're seeing is related to that. Although I would say lately within the past two weeks, all I see is for whatever reason, remote desktop protocol probing on port 5555 TCP. Mm. I don't know what that's about. That's interesting. Um, I, that could just be somebody who just happens to be scanning tons of ports, and I'm mm -hmm. only looking at 5555, and that's what I'm seeing. But um, anyway, I did see uh, remote desktop protocol probing on that. I think what we saw today is that there's different things happening on that port, a lot of different things potentially. They're all kind of mixed together when you see people out there uh, hitting that port. Could be a whole bunch of things out there that people would be trying to take advantage of on 5555 TCP. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.